0: Good morning, Servants Church. I hope you're ready to learn God's word because that's what we're going to do today. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we'll look at verses 1 to 13. We actually looked at the first part last week. We're going to look at the second part this week. But I want to read all the verses and then jump right into it because there's so much going on. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. Follow with me as I read this. The saying is trustworthy. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will we care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued not addicted to much wine not greedy for dishonest gain they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first that they and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless their wives likewise must be dignified not slanderers but sober-minded faithful in all things Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray that as we uh, look at the second half about how you want a priority of your church to to be developing good leadership... We, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see that the principles that we are trying to, to apply are your principles. They're things that you've set out as a priority. I pray you'd use this to encourage us, Lord. In fact, I pray no matter where each of us is on uh, in the in journey toward you, in the journey with you, Lord, that there would be some application, some place where we'd say, yep, that was for me today. Please, we pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us in this way. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if you've looked at the ministry of Jesus, one of the things that you may have noticed is that a priority that he had was raising up leadership. If you think about this, Jesus' ministry was only three and a half years long, and he focused the majority of that ministry on 12 guys. And even within that, there were three main guys that he focused on developing. It's as if Jesus knew he would start his church when he would send his Holy Spirit, as we read in Acts chapter 2. And getting ready for that, he would focus mainly on developing leadership. Maybe you noticed that when you read the Gospels Maybe you didn't. But it still remains that that's what he did. And it's funny because often in churches, we don't make this a priority. Or if it is a priority, no one really knows about it except those who are already in leadership. But here we have in in Paul's letter to Timothy, as he's laying out what the priorities of a local church need to be, what the priorities for the churches in Ephesus need to be, he is emphasizing in one part the development of leadership. Now, we looked last week Uh, at uh, the development of pastoral leadership. This week we want to look at the development of practical leadership. And before I get into the, 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 the nuts and bolts of the text itself, I want you guys to see how this fits into what the vision is, what God's vision is for Servants Church. Now, you may have heard if you've been listening for a while or been part of the church for a while, you may have heard me use language like we want to be a culture of discipleship. Or maybe you've heard someone say that we want to be disciples who make disciples. And that really is the, 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 the framework for what we do as a church. Now, there's steps to this, or there's, there's aspects of this that are really important for us to understand. And I, and I want you to see how leadership development fits into uh, the other aspects of being disciples that make disciples. So, so we kind of have five main things that we want to move the church towards. We want to move towards as a culture of discipleship. The first thing is that we want to see each person take personal responsibility for their own salvation. Now, what we mean for that is that that each person doesn't save themselves. None of us can make ourselves right with God. That's what God does for us. But there is in this a a, a need for us that as we come to faith in Jesus, that we actually learn to walk with Jesus ourselves. We also want to see every, every single believer be engaged in what we call authentic fellowship, There's 31 separate one another commands in the New Testament. They're commands because this is what God says is not an option for us if we're believers we're called to love one another, that we're called to be committed to real relationships in Jesus. And also, we want to call all people towards continuing maturity. One of the things that can happen to us if we've been a Christian for a while, we've been around church for for many, many years, is that we can think because we know stuff, we're mature. But actually, there's a need for us to keep pressing on in maturity, to learn to be those who serve like Jesus. Now, as we're learning to serve like Jesus some people from, uh, we we pick some people from the congregation to have some small uh, responsibilities. Either men or women, we ask them to have some small responsibilities so they learn what it means to be uh, committed in service. And, And this is where the development of leadership comes in. Uh, finally, what happens is as people serve this way, this is when we begin to discern, or, or should they be in a position as a deacon, someone who does practical ministry, or as a pastor or overseer, someone who does more as more of a spiritual focus? In fact, someone has once said, and I think this is good, that um, a, a pastor serves by leading and a deacon leads by serving. So all that we're talking about here today in developing of church leadership is not something that's separate from what we are involved in in the congregation. In fact, I hope as we go through these things, and we'll make lots of references to Acts chapter 6, don't worry, the verses will be on the screen, but we'll make lots of references to see that practically the whole congregation actually is involved in the development of leaders, so let's get down into the nuts and bolts of the text, right? The first thing I want to show you of four things is that it's talking about the character of servant leaders. Now, you might notice that a lot of the things that were in the first seven verses of, of 1 Timothy 3 were, were repeated in, the, in verses 8 to 13 of 1 Timothy 3. In other words, the qualifications uh, for deacons are, are quite similar to the qualifications of elders or overseers, Deacons are also required to exemplify godly behavior. We see this where in verse 8, deacons, like elders, have to be dignified. They have to be not addicted to much wine. They they cannot be greedy for dishonest gain. We see this in in verse 10, where it says that they need to find themselves or show themselves blameless. We see again in verse 11 that they need to be dignified. Also, that they need to be sober-minded. We see this again in verse 12, that they need to be husbands of one wife, managing their children well. So, these are part of the characteristics that that, that deacons are expected to exemplify. If you want to get a breakdown of what these things look like, what these things mean, look at last week's sermon. The point is, though, there's a couple other things here that Paul brings up. And these things are important because they they connect to the fact that um, deacons, unlike overseers, don't have to be apt to teach. So, look at verse 8. So they're not required to teach, but they are required to use speech wisely. Notice this phrase in in verse 8, double-tongued. The idea there is that, that they speak out of both sides of their mouths. You might have heard that saying before, that they can't be doing that. Deacons can't be speaking out of both sides of their mouths. They need to have a consistent speech that demonstrates they have a merciful heart, that they've been one who's been shown great mercy, so they want to show great mercy. If you notice in verse 11, it says they can't be slanderers. Interesting, the word there for slanderer is this Greek word diabolos. It's it's where we get the Spanish word diablos, which is the word for devil. And so in a sense, they can't be little Satans. They have to avoid the the temptation to vilify people. And this is really important because as we'll see from Acts chapter 6, a lot of what deacons do is this practical hands-on ministry, dealing with people's practical needs in some of the most stressful parts of their life. And I'll tell you what, when you're dealing with people that way, it's tempted to vilify them, to blame them for their situation. And that's not what deacons ought to do. There's a great scripture that kind of brings this to home for all of us, whether we're deacons or going to be deacons or not. And that's in the book of James where it says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Jesus talked about out of our hearts uh, come uh, out of our hearts come our words. Where our words come from is the attitude of our heart. And so, really, part of the characteristic of a servant leader is that they're not required to teach, but they do need to speech, uh, use speech wisely. But also, listen, they're not required to teach, but they need to hold to gospel convictions clearly. Look at verse eleven. Or I'm sorry, verse nine. In verse nine, he says this: They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That doesn't mean that they need to be theologians, but they do have to have a grasp on the basics of the gospel. They have to have, not only that they have an understanding of it, but they are holding on to that in in, in clear conscience. In other words, they recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not with works, lest any of us boast. They get that basics of the gospel. They recognize that everyone who names the names of Jesus needs to turn away from sin. They need to practice repentance. They recognize, they hold to that with a clear conscience. Those things need to be there because of what they're actually called to do. And we'll talk more about what they're called to do in a minute. So that's the first thing, the character of servant leaders. The second thing, let's talk about the development of servant leaders. Look at verse 10. Paul says, and let them also, that is like elders, let them also be tested first. In other words, there needs to be a a sense where we recognize their growth before they have the office. Now, this is really important. In all kinds of different Christian churches with all kinds of different leadership traditions and structures, there is often a temptation to appoint someone to a leadership position simply because they're a good leader in the world. They're good businessmen or women. Uh, They're they're good teachers. You know, um, uh, maybe they they, they have a position of trust somewhere else, doctors, whatever. And so the temptation is, oh, they do good out there. And so if they're talented in their work, then they'll be good at being a deacon or an elder. But that's actually not what God says. What God says is the first uh, priority is, what's their character like? How are they growing in their relationship with God? You might think, do I really need to be close to Jesus to pass out Bibles or to tell people where to sit? Or You may think that, but in a sense, you really do, because the purpose of of being a deacon, of being a practical leader, is to demonstrate the gospel. So if you're not holding on that with a clear conscience and learning to grow in that, then you know what? That's going to affect even how you seat people or pass out Bibles, here, here's what we're talking about, okay? And this is where we begin to see how, again, how um, deacon training or development of practical leadership fits in with just this culture of discipleship. What growth are we talking about? Remember, the first part of growth is this personal responsibility. That is, all believers need to learn to walk with Jesus. This is what the scripture says, what Paul wrote to all believers. He says, Work out, not work for, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, what Paul's saying is, look, work out your salvation because God is working it in. Because God is working, you be working. And so the idea when we talk about personal responsibility is not you try to get God to act, but you believe that God has acted on your behalf through Jesus and that God is acting for your benefit through his Holy Spirit. Therefore, believing that you act, you work out what God's called you to do. You learn to walk with Jesus. And this is a lifelong process but also when it comes to authentic fellowship. This is also an area that needs to be that, that practical leaders need to be growing in and exemplifying in authentic fellowship. That is all believers need to actively grow in these one another commands. Now this is why we so push small groups. Because it, what happens when you're involved in small groups, when you're connected to people on that level, people know who you are, you know who they are. Not only can you practice the one another's because you're together, but also you can call each other and help each other to grow in those one another. This is what we miss, I think, most of at Servants Church, being able not to gather together. We can't really grow in these one another's as we ought to. Now, I'm so thankful that so many people are reaching out to individuals. So many of you are watching this now with another family. Or with another person. You've invited them over and you're enjoying fellowship together. That's awesome. That's the pursuit of authentic fellowship. But don't limit it just to listen to a service or watch a service. Think about what the one another commands are. Look them up in your Bible and say, God, teach me how to walk in this, to grow in this. Again, the scripture says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do to you. This is God's will for all believers. But again, part of this growth that, that needs to come before having an office of a practical leader means that we're continuing to mature. And what we mean by that is that all believers need to learn to serve one another. That's one of the one another's, but it's an important one, specifically when it comes for us doing church together, being in church together, doing church together. It requires a lot of work. Right now, as I'm preaching to you at the camera, there's actually five people in this room, socially distanced, to, who, who actually been serving hard already for well over an hour, so that this could be brought to you. This is what we all need to learn to grow. And this is part of our continuing maturity. Listen again to what the scripture says. In response to this great news of what Jesus has done for us, here's what our calling is. Paul says in Galatians 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's your sinful nature. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, we can be nice to each other, kind to each other. But I'll tell you, the rubber meets the road when we need to serve each other. Especially when people treat us like servants. We don't like that. But the truth is, this is how we mature. This is how we become like Jesus who came as the servant. So, so the growth comes before the office. This is what Paul's getting at when he says, let them first be tested. This is why at servants that you need to be a deacon candidate before you can be a deacon. And we'll talk more about how that works. But also, you need to be a deacon before you can be a pastoral candidate. And we'll talk more about how that works. It's that chance for the congregation to see that there's been this growth before they get the office. Now, the growth comes before the office, but the faithfulness in these things continues with the office. In fact, this is how we see the people develop and move towards these positions of leadership. Look again at verse 11. In verse 11, he says... Um, uh, let them be, uh, you see at the, at the end of verse 11, faithful in all things. See, see, we go from continuing maturity as individuals to some people get called to these individual positions or uh, given areas of small responsibility, and this is for a, ch- a chance for us to see, are they committed to service? Are they learning first to be faithful in little things? This this is a principle that Jesus laid down himself. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus says uh, to these people, he says, well done, good servant. This is Jesus actually telling a parable when he says, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Now, that doesn't mean that deacons have authority over 10 cities. In the parable, he's talking about in the kingdom, when the Lord comes back, when it's not just uh, the not yet, but when the Lord comes back, that there's a sense in which we will reign with Jesus And where we reign and how we reign really depends on how faithful we've been now. So so this this standard of calling people to community service before they're in practical leadership and even way before they're in in pastoral leadership, that is because there's something eternal going on here. God is preparing us for eternity. This is important as as we come later on to what uh, the servant leaders do. But also, it's important that we see that that these leaders are then first recognized as examples. It's one thing for me to see someone as, wow, they're really growing as an example, but they're not really an example unless other people see them growing. People need to see they're growing. This is why we have a deacon candidacy. So that as we see people or as a few people might point to individual men or women who seem to be growing in maturity, we can bring them before the congregation. The congregation can say, yes, they are growing in maturity. In fact, this is when we start getting into Acts chapter 6, this great chapter, this great uh, section where we see what probably were the first deacons being appointed. Listen to this. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 says, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And guess what these guys were going to do? We'll see in a minute. Just practical stuff. In other words, with the, the apostles are the ones saying this. And they're saying, listen, there's a need for practical ministry here. That we are called to do this pastoral work, but we can't do the pastoral work and the practical work. We need these, these men, and, and, and we'll see, I think, in the future women, that we need these to, to do the practical work so that we're free to do the pastoral work. And this is important because when, when, when in, in saying to the congregation, you pick these men, they're saying, you look, you know the character of those who need to fulfill this position. You need to pick those people. There's a sense that they get nominated by the congregation. The way we do that at Servants is to put forth deacon candidates and have the congregation be able to affirm over a period of time that these men or women are indeed of the character to be in the position. In fact, this is great because we need people that we can look up to. We need people that are, in a sense, a few steps ahead of us in our walks with Jesus. So we can know what it looks like practically to walk with Jesus in day-to-day life. In fact, Paul says we should look for such people. Listen to this. Paul says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, look for, see how this practically works itself out. What does it look like to walk with Jesus, to live for Jesus, to to have authentic fellowship, to continue to grow in maturity. What do these things look like? We have to look to people for this. Common sense would say it's the deacons and the elders that set that standard. And so those who are setting that standard, we want to raise up to be able to be seen by the congregation to help. But also the faithfulness and giftedness of these individuals needs to be recognized by other leaders, It's not a popularity contest. It's not about, uh, we're all going to vote on this. It is about noticing men and women who love Jesus and who serve practically, seeing if they want to take on that responsibility, give them a candidacy so that they can be tested. But also then, the leadership gets a chance to train them up and be able to affirm this is what they're supposed to do. Listen to this. Again, Acts chapter 6. He says, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint, that's the apostles, to this duty. These they set up before the apostles, and they, uh, they set before the apostles. In other words, the congregation set these before the apostles. And they, that is the, the apostles, prayed and laid their hands on them. Do you see how this works together? In a very real sense, what happens is people point to the men and women who are growing in their faith. These are examples to us. They're showing us what it looks like to serve and follow and walk with Jesus. And so they point to them, and then the leadership goes to them, Do you, are you willing to be trained for this? And as they're trained and as they, they grow and the congregation knows who they are, the congregation say, yep, yeah, these are the right ones, and then we can lay hands and put them in that office. This is what we're talking about, the development of servant leaders. These things don't just happen by accident. They happen as the Holy Spirit gives wisdom to existing leadership to see how more leadership can be developed. And this is crucially important for each local church. Now, we want to move from the development of servant leaders to what I'm going to call the inclusiveness of servant leaders. And here's where it gets slightly controversial, Now, if you look at the first part of verse 11, in the ESV that I'm teaching from, it says this. Notice it says, uh, their wives likewise. And we need to to recognize that there's different ways to to explain this, or what, what I'm calling the reality of different exegetical possibilities. In other words, it can mean this or it can mean that. In the ESV, in the King James Version, New King James Version, the UK, NIV version, it's translated. The word there is translated "wives," okay, but in many other versions, NIV, New American Standard, etc., and in other versions, it's translated "women," and that could be women referring to those these women. that are assisting the male deacons. It could be a translation of that they are the, the they are indeed the wives of the deacons, as we saw in the first things, or it could simply mean that they're women deacons. Now, my conviction is this, that what Paul's writing here is about women deacons, that women can be deacons just like men can be deacons. And I'll tell you why I have that conviction. It's because of the evidence of what the biblical testimony is about the ministry of women. Let's talk about this. First and foremost, we see that Jesus was ministered to by women. It says, in Galilee, these women had followed Jesus and cared for His needs. So Jesus uh, was receiving ministry, practical ministry from women. We see this in Paul's exhortation uh, regarding this woman named Phoebe. Notice what he writes in in chapter 16 of Romans. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, this new uh, international version, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people to give her any help she may need of you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. So NIV goes out and just, you know, names her a deacon. But the reason it does that is because the word that's used there is a word that's translated deacon in 1 Timothy. Again, the example of uh, Aquila and Priscilla. It says in, in, in in Romans chapter 16, it goes on to say, greet Priscilla and Aquila. We saw lots of this in the book of Acts, right? My co-workers in Christ Jesus. It's important. Paul's exalting them to in a sense a place where, where they're doing ministry with him, not just for him. He says they risk their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them and the church that meets in their house. So the the, the thing is they seem to be doing ministry together, some sort of a deacon type ministry together, it seems. Now, also, I, I believe this, 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 there's a, a truth that there's a compatibility between a mutual submission, that is men and women submitting to each other, and a clear authority structure between men and women. Now, we've already talked about that clear authority structure earlier in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Much more controversial than what I'm talking about here. If you haven't heard that, go back and hear that. And we were clear because we think Paul was clear that the position of pastor overseer is restricted to men, and Paul gave many reasons for that from creation. And so, because of that, some people see: see, women are supposed to be servants or helpers to men; therefore, they shouldn't be in a position of, of, um, of deacon because then there's not that clear authority structure. Well, actually, I don't think that fits. L- listen to how Paul talks about authority in marriage. Acts, or, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter five. Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the whole section that he's going to go on and talk to you is is framed with this idea that there's a place for mutual submission among God's people. Then he says specifically, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey or submit to your parents in the Lord for this is right. Bond servants, we might say modern day employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. In other words, even within this mutual submission where because we're equal in Christ, we need to defer to each other and learn from each other, there still could be an authority structure. Does that make sense? Now, the reason I'm saying this is because when we're talking about the inclusiveness of servant leaders, this is kind of controversial, uh, in this culture, or an egalitarian culture, people say, well, why couldn't women have any position in the church? Well, we saw earlier that, well, it seems that Paul's clear, the Scripture's clear, for, for both theological and reasons of creation, that women have different roles than men. But also, we don't want to make the mistake of going, yes, that's right, different roles. And then apply it in ways, apply this what we call complementarianism, in a way that actually undermines the value of women and the ministries that women have you got to know, uh, man, i got to say, brothers, if you're not willing to receive ministry from a woman, that's probably sexism. If it's because she's only for a woman, if she's a, a pain, then that's a different story. But same with men. You know, it, it, women, if you don't receive for men because you think all men are sexist, well, they may be sexist. But the truth is, if they're, they're not being sexist, they're just giving ministry, you have to receive it. The male female thing is less important when God's Spirit is working. But what is important is that we seek to say, okay, God, how does this structure look? What, what guidelines have you given? So, my conviction is, our conviction at the Servants Church is that men uh, only can be pastors or overseers, but women can be, women and men can be deacons. So that's the, what I mean by the inclusiveness of servant leadership. Let's look at the fourth and final point, the benefit of servant leaders. And I hope this is where we as a church, we really grab the reality that, man, it's a good thing that we, that we are intentional about leadership development because it does promote the gospel. The first thing that we need to notice is what it says in verse 13. It says, for those who serve well as deacons. Now it doesn't give us any descriptions about what deacons do here. But again, if we take the hints from Acts chapter 6, here's what we find out. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In other words, in the First, early church, there were literally thousands of people who become Christians from all different kinds of ethnic backgrounds, and uh, as they, they came to Jerusalem to worship uh, and, and celebrate the Jewish feast, they became Christians, and they stayed in Jerusalem, and guess what? They started running out of money, and so they are they're in Jerusalem, kind of hoping Jesus is going to come back, and the church is, it feels obligated to help their, them meet their, their daily needs, the daily material needs. And so, there was this daily distribution. And what happens is they're complaining because the disciples, the 12, and probably some helpers, were falling behind in distributing that that, that stuff evenly. And so, what happens? And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables, that is to distribute food. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This is what I was referring to earlier. When there's good deacon ministry, you know what happens? The elders can be elders. The overseers can focus on that pastoral care, that pastoral counsel, that working in ministry and in prayer. But when there's not that good uh, deacon ministry going on, you know what happens? They get distracted away from the things that God wants to use to actually save people. Now, there's something else here, though, too. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. He says, those who serve well as deacons, what do they do? They gain a good standing for themselves. In other words, when they serve well, when they meet these practical needs, you know what happens? They gain gospel influence in the church. See, this is the point of having deacons. not just to be practical, but to be practical in a way that demonstrates the gospel. This is why the character requirements are so high. We kind of get it, a, a pastor's got to have a high character. He's before the congregation. He's, he's a public uh, picture or a public face of a local church. That kind of makes sense. But deacons, they're all behind the scenes. Why do they have to have that strong character? Because within the church, they are meant not to speak the gospel, but to demonstrate the gospel. They set the pace for gospel demonstration for the entire congregation. In fact, look what it says in Acts chapter 6. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great men, uh, many of the priests, that would have been the Old Testament priests or priests under the uh, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. Do you, do you see the connection that Luke, the author of Acts, is making? He's saying when the church began to say, let's prioritize elder ministry or pastoral ministry to do the, the spiritual work of the church, let's prioritize the, 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 the um The deacon ministry, to the practical bit of the church. When there was both gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration, what happened? Even priests got saved. Think about this. There's power when we make it a priority to develop servant leaders. Lastly, I want to bring up the fact that they... That these, those who serve this way, Paul says, also they have a great confidence. This is verse 13 again. Have a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And here what I see is that they also grow in gospel presentation outside the church. Now you might say, wait a second, John. Didn't you just say that they don't have to be able to teach? Deacons don't have to be able to teach. They just demonstrate the gospel. They don't present the gospel. Yes, I did say that. But I want you to notice in Acts chapter 6 a couple of the people that were among the seven that became what we might call deacons. It says, and they chose Stephen and Philip. Now, Stephen, if you go on to Acts chapter seven, preaches the longest recorded sermon in the scripture. It's a complete overview of the whole Old Testament with Jesus at the center. It's a brilliant sermon. In fact, it was so good, it got him killed. He was a deacon. He wasn't a pastor. What happened? Well, his his faithfulness to serve God that way prepared him to use this gifting he he, he happened to have in preaching. Not every deacon will preach. Not every deacon will have that kind of gifting. Many of them won't. But the reality is some that do, that comes out after they've served as deacon. Philip is known as Philip the Evangelist. We hear about him in Acts chapter 8. And later on, and I think it was in Acts chapter 16, we hear about his daughters who also prophesied. Where did this great boldness come from? From serving faithfully in practical leadership. This is the benefit of servant leaders, the benefit to the church. Now, I I hope you're beginning to see how or why Jesus made it a priority to develop leaders and why we at Servants need to make it a priority to develop leaders that as we see uh, overseers developed, pastoral ministry developed, that the proclamation of the gospel goes out more and more. But also as we see practical leadership developed, that the demonstration of the gospel goes out more and more. I hope you guys are seeing this. So so I want to exhort you in something before we close up. I want to, to encourage you, listen, we grow together by doing these things. We grow together by pursuing these things. Remember these, these these steps, these building blocks, personal responsibility. Are you learning to walk with Jesus? In fact, maybe some of you are watching this today and what you're struggling with is the fact of bad leadership. You've seen bad pastoral ministry or bad practical ministry, or you've been neglected in pastoral or practical ministry. And so you're struggling personally to walk with Jesus. Let me encourage you in something. See, we talk about pastoral ministry, but you know what the Bible says? Pastor being a shepherd. The Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd. You see, in a sense, even though God's called me to be a pastor, I don't really like being called pastor. People say, hey, Pastor John, and I don't make a big deal about it, but I'd rather not be called Pastor John because that's not my title. It's my job description. And in fact, I feel less like a shepherd and more like a sheepdog. I'm just going to nip at your heels and point you to the shepherd, the good shepherd, who's Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. The the, the, the personal responsibility we take is, is not so much of, or the faith that we have is not in God's church. The good news is not that God sent his church, but that God sent his son, Jesus. We know what God's like. We know we can trust him. We know that we can have our sins forgiven because of how Jesus lived and died and rose again the fact that he ascended to heaven and sent his spirit. We learn to follow him. Are you doing that? In fact, before you do anything else, you gotta know that is the first step. That's the foundation, learning to walk with Jesus. What about authentic fellowship? Maybe you're one who struggles. I mean, I know right now, man, with with. Social distancing and and with the sort of restrictions that we have together, together, it makes authentic fellowship really difficult to pursue. But can I ask you to be honest with yourself about something? Have you let that to, to be an excuse to kind of not do what you actually weren't doing before COVID? Because I know that this is what the Lord wants for you. If you want to follow Jesus, he wants you to be with his people And to learn to love him and receive, or to love them and to receive love from them. He wants you to grow in this. Are you growing in your faith? Have you found that maybe you feel a bit stagnant? I felt like I was growing a lot for a lot of years, but I just feel like I've kind of leveled off and I'm not going anywhere. Maybe you need to look for a fresh way to serve. If you're going, I don't know how to serve, man, you know what? Give us a ring. We want to talk with you about that. We want to pray with you about that. But grow in maturity. Desire to still grow. Some of you guys that are, have been faithful but haven't wanted a position of ministry, can I encourage you to say yes? To really say, God, am I allowed to say no to this rather than saying, God, am I called to this? And let God give you a willing heart to move forward in ministry. They so really want to ask all of us, are we willing to take these first steps? Are we willing to say, God, I want to walk with Jesus? Because listen, it's your walking with Jesus that helps me be a better pastor. It's your walking with Jesus that helps the deacons grow in their ability of practical leadership. We, we have to be those who can recognize maturity even if we don't have it. This is how God grows his people. Let's pray that we can grow. Father, we pray that you would help us to grow with you. Father, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to become more like Jesus. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that the good news is not that I'm going to sort myself out, but that you've sent Jesus so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to catch this vision of practical leadership development and pastoral leadership development being an integral part of us just being disciples who make disciples. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who's watching this who doesn't yet know what it means to, to know you personally, that, Lord, even in a message today that's not a very much of a gospel message, but you would still use it today to bring them to saving faith. You can do this, Lord. We love you, Father. We pray for wisdom and deliverance from this COVID virus. And we thank you that no matter what happens, Lord, you're a keeping God. You know those that are yours and you're keeping us to the day of salvation. We love you, Lord, and we trust you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.